Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. We have visited this passage many, many times, not only as a collective body and church, but I am confident more than one time you have heard this scripture referenced. And so it's going to be pretty apparent from where we're beginning that we're going to be in familiar territory. But I really feel impressed of the Lord. I want to share something. Just yesterday I was, uh, the Lord just began to deal with me about this thought and uh, last night or really, really early this morning but long before day um, I got up for a little while and I was just thinking about this thing still rolling around in my mind and my heart and I thought something I rarely ever do is lay back down after I get up no matter what time I get up but I lay back down for just a few minutes and um, I have a website that I have programmed in my phone and I just turned it on put a little earbud in my ear and and uh, there was a, a preacher preaching and there was only about I didn't realize but about two minutes of his message left and he spoke on the very thing that God had been dealing with me about and I took that as enough confirmation to just get back up and put my nose in the book and let's just talk about this a little while can we do that today I'm not going to share anything you've never heard but I want to just underline some things in my heart I've asked the Lord for just this one favor and that is to help me just convey this how I feel it in my heart amen uh, there's a there's one big portion of me that just like to if I was as agile as some of these young boys we have and a few of the girls uh, <laughs> crawl up one of these pilasters and get on top of the building. Most adults need ladders, but the children don't need ladders. I see I have some volunteers already. I'd like to just get up there and preach this from that rooftop. That's how I feel it in my heart. Amen. The book of Hebrews 12 and 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Amen. You've been there before. We've read this many, many times. Amen. Let's pray and ask God to strengthen us now if we can in Jesus' name. Jesus, let the anointing of the Spirit 
Oh God, let it touch our lives and let your presence and power and your anointing, God, let it just strengthen us today in the name of Jesus. I can't do this without you, Lord. I've never wanted to even try to do this without you. So I ask you to stand by me this night. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated in the fear of the Lord. I was sharing this recently, but I I read this not long ago, and it kind of countersunk in my spirit that when we face storms in our lives, and all of us <coughs> face storms, all of us they they are all they vary in what you what you go through. What you go through is not necessarily what I go through, vice versa, but we all face and encounter storms in our lives. And there are some storms that the book of Mark chapter 4 uh, conveys to us that, that Jesus just steps to the bow of the boat and he says, peace be still. And he calms the storm and he takes care of the problem. There were other times that, or another time that the disciples found themselves in a similar situation. And in the midst of that storm, Jesus didn't necessarily calm the winds and the waves, but he, he just walked on top of the winds and waves and came to them. And yet one more illustration we have of storms in our lives, and that is when Paul and those that were on the ship trying to make their way to Rome and the Bible began to talk about the storm that they were in, men fearing for their lives, throwing the cargo overboard. But, but Paul said this in the midst of the storm, an angel had stood by me this night. And the angel said, you stay with the ship and it will all be all right. And we do know that, <clears throat> that it was not necessarily the best of endings. It was not a hallmark ending in the sense that the ship beat into the rocks and broke into pieces and each piece of that became a personal life raft for those men to make their way to shore. But though they were battered and wet and weary, they all made it to shore and they were all alive. And so sometimes he calms the storm, sometimes he walks on the storms and sometimes he just sends angels with us to keep us in those storms. And all of those... I believe at various times in my life, and I'm confident I'm speaking to people that can relate to this, I think I've experienced all of those in my life more than one time. There have been times that God just, we just whispered his name and it just all went away. And there were times that in the midst of the storm, the Lord came to us and brought us above everything that was going on. But there have been some times that we've just been clinging for our very lives, wet, battered, and worn but God saw us through, and I'm thankful for that. I want to preach to you tonight from this thought. It's not anything you haven't heard. I've mentioned that before, but I, I just have these five words pressed into the fabric of my heart, and that is this. I must finish this race. I must finish this race. I've shared this before, and I can appreciate perhaps the impact of uh, what I'm about to say, not exactly touching your heart like it touched ours because we were there in the service and we were familiar with 
the home missions work and the home missions pastor and his wife that were just in the midst of one of these storms trying to give birth to a church and and trying to put a footprint for the name of Jesus in a particular city and community. And they were fighting the very powers of hell itself. And one night we were in a, a rally and because we were personal friends with them, we probably knew a little bit more about what was going on in their life and in their church than maybe most of them that were sitting there. But she stood on that, that evening and she said, with her voice quivering, I've just come too far to turn back now. I, I know that almost sounds cliche in the ranks of, uh, of, uh, of, of church people, but, but I'm telling you, when someone is standing in the mud and the mire and blood is trickling out their nose and they've got one eye swollen shut and they stand with their knees trembling but where their feet fixed, and say, I've just come too far to turn back now. It is, it is that mindset, it is that mentality that has, uh, that has brought longevity to ministries and local churches and, and, and movements at large. It's people that have just decided that I didn't just start this thing. I, I, I may have got in, in the church, and, and a lot of people got in the church through various means. There would be a personal testimony sitting here in every spot in this auditorium tonight of how somebody came to the Lord and maybe people came to the Lord at a very high and emotional time in their life. It may have been a revival service or it may have been something that where you came to the Lord at a very high point in your life. There are others here tonight that came to the Lord on the other side of that spectrum. It was a very low ebb in their life and somehow in the midst of all of that clutter and chaos, hiding behind the stuff, the hand of God reached around and touched them and brought them to God, to him, to, to him. And, and, and all of points in between, everything you can imagine. So no matter how we got in this thing, no matter how we, were, how we got started, so to speak, I didn't just start this thing, but I, I want to be determined, determined that I must finish this race. I remember being at a conference many years ago now and some good friends of ours, they were evangelizing at the time, had been pastoring many, year, many, many years now, but I remember he was the speaker for that evening service and, and uh, because it was a general conference, I was a little somewhat taken that he walked up to the pulpit and put on a, an acoustic guitar. I was a little surprised by, by the, I didn't see that coming. Let me just put it that way. And, and uh, his, although they were great singers and musicians, he and his wife, but they walked up and, and uh, he put that guitar on and, and uh, they, just, they just stood before that audience of people and they began to sing a song. And I've never forgotten the words to, that, to the chorus, at least, of that song that says, though the road is tough and though steep the climb, still I'm pressing right on. Though the rivers I cross seem so deep that it seems all hope is gone. Though the clouds hang low and the thunder may roll, still I'm pressing on because I started out 
and I'm gonna finish this race that I have begun. This wasn't just something that I, I got into because that's what everybody else around me was doing. There was something in my heart that turned over when God touched my mind. Amen. And so we see now this very familiar passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews. There's many places, of course, in Scripture that talks about the race that we're running. The Bible talks in one particular place about the race that is set before us. We all have a race. We all have things to encounter. And I might even say we all have things to endure. There are some things, and I'm not trying to paint anybody's world gray, but there are some things in our life that we are just going to have to make room for because it may not be going away. I believe that God is a healer. I believe that God is a deliverer. I believe that God can change, and I know that God can change circumstances, but I also know there have been a few things in my life and in our life collectively that we've just had to build a room onto our house because we realize that at least for a season, this has moved in, and now I gotta learn how to deal with this, but I, I yet, in spite of what is going on, I, I wanna have a prayer life. In spite, of, in spite of what's going on, I wanna, I wanna still be a student of the word of God and I wanna remain faithful to him in his house and in worship and in, in faithfulness in every aspect of my life, even though there is something very obvious in my heart and my life. And so I have that race that is set before me, before me. And, uh, and so when I consider that and I consider this passage and uh, I have appreciation really for the counsel of chapter 12 and verse one. I really do. Uh, I do have an appreciation for it, but I think the reason I can appreciate Hebrews 12 and one is because I just finished reading Hebrews 11. <laughs> if you just jump right into something, you may not, it may not have all the full impact it's supposed to have. You need to read around and see what's going on in this situation. And so, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience. Here's that word, patience, the race that is set before us. Chapter 12 opens against the backdrop of chapter 11 where there is this hero of faith roll call. Verse one opens by saying wherefore are because of which, because of this, are in light of these great faith heroes that are now our witnesses let us be encouraged. <laughs> Let us be encouraged. We are not in this thing alone, but we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I believe that if we could hear those voices tonight, amen, I am not trying to be ridiculous, but I believe if we could hear the voices of that great cloud of witnesses, they would be, they would be encouraging us along this journey. They would be, they would be encouraging us along in this very service tonight. And so the writer said, lay aside every weight. The weight represents a hindrance, of course, not necessarily things that are sinful. But in a race, in a race, a runner travels as light as they possibly 
can. Amen, everything is designed to be as light as it possibly can. It all matters. It all is going to matter because we're not talking about a 100-yard dash. We're not talking about just trying to get from here to the back of the building. But I started this thing and I wanna finish this thing and I wanna just add this and I may say this multiple times, but I wanna finish this thing with a good spirit. I wanna finish this thing with a good attitude. I wanna finish this thing with the right mindset about the work of God and the kingdom of God. I don't wanna end this race bitter. I don't wanna end this race wrong side out. I don't wanna end this race and and just be cynical about all the things that are going on. But I'm gonna tell you, I've seen enough cloud of witnesses around me men and women that have silver in their hair and they have calluses on their eyes, amen, or cataracts on their eyes, excuse me, and calluses on their hands, and stay with me now, amen, and, and somehow they've never lost that glitter, somehow they've never lost that faith, amen, that just keeps pushing and keeps pressing right on. That's how I wanna end the race. I must finish this race. Everything, everything, if I'm gonna finish this race, then I must design my life with great intention to rid myself of everything that I possibly can. In our walk with God, I must be very, very careful not to become burdened down with unnecessary weights. My message this evening is not going to be going over a list of things that we should do or a list of things that we should not do as some may desire. But I will tell you this, I wanna look at some things that could be detrimental to the race that is set before us. Amen. I'm going to plead guilty tonight. and I'm, I, My wife is going to help me with this. She hasn't uh, known about this until right now, but I think she's going to help me with this. We, we don't know how to travel light. Now, we've tried it. We have tried it on many, many times, and we have we have sat down before major trips, and and we just you know, we just got to both do something that's not all her fault, and it's certainly not all my fault. But I feel like I almost got to apologize. We check into a hotel at three o'clock in the morning. We're leaving at seven, but we come in. We're pulling two carts with us, and I had to realize I realized we just paid for one night. Don't panic. Am I alone in this now? And then I look around and, you know, we're standing in line. And there are people just got a backpack on. I'm wondering, how do you do that? How in the world do you do that? They're, they're pulling a little, a little thing. You could just barely put a poodle in it. And I'm wondering, how in the world? How in the world are you doing this? But we are, we're trying, we're still trying. We haven't given up the faith, have we? We haven't given up the faith by any means, but I've got to rid myself of things that I don't need. And so here's what we find. When, even though we have great intentions when we start out, it's just before we leave the house, that's when it all starts falling apart. Our plans work real well until just mere moment, moments before liftoff because then we get to thinking about, but what if? but you know I might, and then, and then, and then, and then. And so I often find myself hanging things in the car and then taking them out of the car, and they never left the car. They rode all over the country. They went with us everywhere. We could think about how much more gas mileage we could have gotten, if, but we just hauled all this stuff because we wanted our shirts and clothes and socks and boots. We wanted them to see the country. We wanted them to see every hillside. We had great intentions, great intentions. We love our stuff.
<laughs> I feel like I am 14 miles from where I should be. <laughs> but you're with me, so let's just march on, shall we? Amen. I've got to understand there are some things spiritually. We do the same thing. I'm not sure I can do without this. We, we feel that God deal with us in certain moments of our lives and we think, you know, I need to rid myself of that. I need to set this down. I need to set that down. I, I, I don't need this. This is unnecessary baggage. This is not helping me whatsoever at all. And then after a while, a few days away from that great experience with God, we start picking things back up that we had set down. We start incorporating all that back into our lives and then we realize that this trip now is no different than any trip we've ever been on. I had great intentions when we met. I had great intentions when I was standing before the Lord, but I've got to understand there are some things that I've got to be diligent. I've got to lay aside the weights. I've got to lay aside the things. There's things that we must understand collectively, corporately here tonight. I mean, there are some things that are common to every man. John lists several of them. Amen, other writers list them but John says something in 1 John 2.16 John talks about the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye the pride of life oh my oh my how long we could stand and talk about things like that that affect our lives that's common to every man the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye the pride of life those are things that brush the shoulders of every person that is sitting here tonight or anyone that will ever hear this message it touches and affects our lives amen we face things that reveal the weaknesses of our, of our character we think we're better than that we feel like somehow we're stronger but then we find ourselves dealing with things like envy and and jealousy and, and covetousness and, and out of the clear blue we thought that we were rising above that and the next news you know we're running headlong into those same things but when we lay these things aside hear me when we really lay these things down we are equipping, equipping ourselves amen for, with things that will enhance our ability to run this race successfully I don't want all of this I don't need all of this in my life I want to trim down everything that I don't need and I want to say God I yield and give all of this to you I know I realize this is an extreme example but when I went with our men a few years ago to Guatemala and I've heard them mention this before I went and since I've been there but when you see how these people live in these third world countries I remember many conversations of us coming home and saying you know if we learn nothing else this week we found out that you don't have to have a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we count dear. There's a lot of things that we count precious to us, but you don't really have to have that to live. Amen, we think, oh, I couldn't live without this, or I, I couldn't live without that, but I'll promise you somebody right now is living without that. They've never touched it. They've never tasted it. They've never experienced it, but their lives are going right on. And so I say, God, help us to turn that around spiritually. And when we say, I don't know if I could get by without that. I don't know if I could not go there or do this or do that. I'm gonna tell you, there's a lot of people that's never tasted it. They've never touched it. They've never gone there. And God has done something powerful in their lives. What I'm preaching them out tonight is this. I must finish this race. It's not about where I am today. It's not about where you are tonight, but it's about where we're gonna be five years from now or 10 years from now. Amen, I promise you, if the 
Lord doesn't come. I hope somebody can find this old boy and I'm still living for God and I still have a passion for him. I'm still in love with him. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Why? Because I must finish this race. I must, I just must. Hallelujah. Amen. Every person that is filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I believe should intentionally disengage ourselves from those outside things that just distract us from the main order of business. It's been said countless times, but we must keep the main thing, the main thing. I promise you this, amen, if you are majoring on minors, I promise you, you're minoring on majors. Amen, you're minoring. You can't major on minors without running the risk of simultaneously minoring on major things. Sometimes we're so focused on this and we're letting weighty, weighty, weighty matters go. I say, oh Lord, oh Lord, it's not gonna matter at the end of time. It's not gonna matter what my address was. It's not gonna matter. It's not gonna matter what brand of clothes I was wearing or what brand of car I was driving. That's not gonna matter one of these days, one of these days. And so I say, oh God, may, may I be so conscious of your spirit and may I be so cognizant of your, of your will that I say, God, I don't need that. When I feel something tugging me away from the main thing, I need to cut, cut myself and cut those ties. I know that in our world, and certainly in the society that we live in, and absolutely in America, it, there are many worthwhile organizations that they're not wrong in and of themselves. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. But I think we, we could all agree that it's possible and oh, so easy to become so weighted down with extracurricular activities that we get distracted about the most important things in our lives. Amen, everybody that wakes up every morning is the same thing in common and that is this I only have 24 hours in this day I only have 24 hours in this day and so I've got to ask myself amen what am I going to do with this allocation of time this gift that has been given to me today I can involve myself in many things I could do many charitable things I could do many noble things amen but I must ask myself amen is that really distracting me from the kingdom of God. Amen. You can see through this pulpit tonight. Amen. I hope you can see through my spirit as well. I'm not on a soapbox. Amen. There is no hidden agenda. I don't have one thing in mind while I'm preaching to you tonight. I'm just telling you that, that if we're not careful, we can get our hands in so many things that we're so preoccupied with this that we can't tend to the weightier matters of the kingdom of God. I want to be available. Moses said, what am I going to do? And how am I gonna do this? He said, what is that in your hands, Moses? I mean, you need to empty yourself of self so that you're available for me. And I think, oh God, oh God, help me to empty myself of self. Help me to empty myself of things that I might be available for him. I was listening, I was listening to an old preacher pray. 
I was listening to an old preacher pray. The Bible says watch and pray. I think you can listen and pray. I wasn't being nosy. I wasn't trying to invade his privacy. I've shared this before. I was listening to him pray. And, and, and uh, as he began to pray and talk, and that evening I heard him say this as he was closing his prayer. He said, Lord, tonight when I go to bed, I just want you to know this. As I drift off to sleep, if you need me, Lord, if you need me, Lord, wake me. If you need me for anything, wake me up. I'm not so interested in my six hours or my eight hours or my nine hours, my nine hours that I have not left some room for you. If you need anything through the night, I want you to know that you can knock on my heart. I want you to know you can shake my, my spirit and I'll rise, Lord. I'll pray. I'll do whatever it, it needs to be done. Amen. Through, through the years, I've had the privilege to be a part of and the honor to be a part of several community efforts along the way. And, and, uh, and, and I'm not preaching against that by any means. They're noble and, and honorable in their own right. But there's one thing I found about them all. They all have this in common. After a while, they want more and more time. And time is the thing that we have the least of. And that is the most valuable asset that we have. And so there have been times that I had to say, you know, I have more pressing matters. This is not unimportant and somebody needs to do it, but I must avail myself to this. I wanna guard against becoming so involved in those things that I'm not available for the kingdom of God. The writer here refers to things as weights. Again, not necessarily sinful activities. Then the writer goes on to speak about other things that can hinder our race. He first talks about, he talks about weights and then he said the sin that does so easily. Oh, don't read that so, so swiftly. Don't read that so swiftly that we miss the impact of what he said. The sin which does so easily beset us. He uses an unusual word there, beset. Translated differently, it means easily trips up or so easily ensnares us or something that clings so closely. That so easily entangles or that which clings closely. That which so easily ensnares or that which so easily entangles us. Amen, you ever just walked into a spider web? You didn't see it coming. And all of a sudden, it's all over you. All of a sudden, you, all of a sudden you, 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 you're just walking along minding your own business and the next thing you know, it's just all over you and you feel it for the next six or seven hours. Amen, you just, <laughs> you just feel that. It, it, it snared me, it, it grabbed me when I wasn't looking and it just wrapped all over me. It just so easily, just so easily. Amen, and so like any good athlete, we must cast off those loads and those burdens, anything that would snare our attention, anything that would snag my affections, anything I've got to make sure that I unload all that. Why? Because I must finish this race. You don't understand. I'm in a race. I'm in a race. I'm not playing church. Amen. We're not here playing church tonight. This is not a social game to us. This is not just, it's not just somewhere to go on Wednesday night. But oh, there's something about the kingdom. Amen. There's a kingdom movement in this house. 
house tonight. I hope you sense that. In Genesis 1, he spoke and he began to move. The spirit of God began to move. And so the kingdom is dynamic. It is not static. And so the minute we disconnect and we become static in our lives, we realize that the kingdom is still moving. I want to know what God wants me to say. Amen. Oh, I want to know what God would have me to preach tonight. Not just another Wednesday. Not just open my Bible and let my finger fall somewhere and just get by the best we can. But oh God, what are you speaking in the heavens of heavens tonight? What are you saying, oh God? What are you saying, oh God? What are you saying? I, I am not trying to just belabor age old illustrations, but I must speak what's on my heart. I remember several years ago and, and I really believe God allowed this to happen in my life for a purpose, to, to just point something out to me. But I had left on a Monday morning, my wife and I, to go to a, a conference. <clears throat> so we got to that conference and we were, during the day, I was sitting around with a gentleman who was the evening guest speaker. And so as we were sitting around two or three days into this, we were just sharing something about the word of God and, and, and not in a boastful fashion whatsoever, but he just began to talk about a message that he had preached on that Sunday night. And so he said, you know, Sunday night, the Lord just gave me a thought Sunday afternoon and he said, I began to preach about it. He said, I, I took my text from such and such scripture and, and my, my, my ears perked up because that was the same book, chapter and verse that I had read for my text that night. And then he said, and then, and then as I began to think about this, I went along this and he said, then I went over to the book of Psalms. And he said, and then I went to the 55th Psalm. And, and he said, I read this verse and I, I was like, my goodness, to my heart. I, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm listening. And, 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 and it was the same exact verse. It was the same exact verse that I had read. And, and as he began to talk, he's just kind of talking, not boasting at all. He's just talking. We're just talking shop. I mean, you know, fishermen, they talk about fishing and hunters. They talk about hunting and preachers talk about preaching. And so then he said, and you know, then, and then I felt prompted. And I went over to this and I raised my hand. I said, excuse me. I said, you went to such and such. And he said, yes, I did. And the titles of our message were almost identical. And I just began to think how that God, now you, you just let me believe this if you want to and you can give me a blessing, Jesus, under your breath if you think it's necessary. But I just believe that God had a word to speak to the church. Is that just so far beyond the realm of reason? Amen, that God had a word for the church. Amen, and I'm so glad. Oh, oh, I was so glad that Sunday afternoon or that Saturday afternoon, whatever it was that I was preparing, I was so glad that I wasn't so busy doing something noble. I was so glad I wasn't busy doing something foolish. I was so glad I wasn't busy doing something weighty. Certainly glad I was not busy doing something sinful that the kingdom of God began to speak and the Lord said, I've got a message I need to get to the church. Hallelujah. I say that humbly. Oh God, I say that humbly. 
glory before you tonight. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that I, amen, we're not just trying to have church to get by. We're not just trying to pick out a scripture and dump out the Bible and whatever rolls out, that's what we're gonna deal with. But I say, Lord, what would you have me to speak tonight? I pray that our singers are saying, God, what would you have me sing? Amen, what would you have me to do? Amen, what would you have me to say? Why? Because we are trying to finish this race. We didn't just start out. We didn't start out to come out of the gate strong. But somehow, I must finish. I've got to finish this race. Oh, hallelujah. I apologize. I'm not here to talk about me and mine. I apologize if this is offensive to you, but how I was sitting, I had the privilege to sit for eight weeks. I had the privilege to sit in our home after my father was diagnosed with cancer. We didn't know he was only gonna last eight weeks, but I had the privilege to sit in our home for eight weeks and my father understood that he had a terminal terminal disease and, and that he had a pronouncement or judgment upon his life. Amen. And he said, without batting his eyes, he said and said, don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. This is what I have worked for all of these years. I thought, oh God, oh God, give me the faith of that man. Oh God, give me the faith of that man that I can stand at the end of this journey and say, you don't understand. You don't get it. I'm not trying to say my dad was flawless. Amen. I'm not trying to say that at all. But I'm saying at the end, he had a determination that I got to finish this thing and I want to finish this thing with joy. I want to finish this thing with zeal. I want to finish this thing with hope. Amen. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what he was doing. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what he was doing. His last breath. His last breath. He was cheering us on. His last breath was saying, stay faithful. His last breath was saying, come on, come on, come on. I'm telling you tonight, we are with a great cloud of witnesses around us and they don't have tape over their mouth. They don't have their hands over their mouth, but they're cheering the church on. And so we got to finish the race. We have got to finish the race. Oh, Oh, I gotta finish this thing. I gotta finish this thing. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Amen, I must hasten. I must hasten. But he speaks about the sins that we could be so vulnerable to. Vulnerable to. You know, I'm gonna tell you something. I don't mean this to sound as smart aleck as it may come across to some. But I know what it's like to stand behind this pulpit and preach against sin or about sin and feel people's feathers just flare up. Amen. Watch people just bristle up and burl up. Instead of coming to the front to pray, they just hasten to the outside because they feel like somehow they're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. But if we knew how vulnerable, David said, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Amen. So it speaks about these sins that are so conveniently around us. Since Hebrews is a book that deals a lot with faith, what about the sin of unbelief? 
So when you mention sin, everybody's mind goes to vodka and Seagram 7 and all this kind of stuff. What about other sins? What about unbelief? What about gossip? Amen. What about people that just can't keep their nose out of everybody else's? The Bible talks about busybodies. Specifically, busybodies. Calls them busybodies. You don't have to look that up to wonder what he's talking about. <laughs> It'd be the same thing. No matter what you translation, it's the same thing. But unbelief is a sin that surrounded the readers and it surrounds us today. And so we have got to be very, very careful that I lay aside unbelief. You know, in our service Friday night, there were some of the speakers began to talk about spiritual experiences that they had. And you know, uh, you know how we are. And uh, Brother Cunningham got up there and he just kind of nailed it down. And he said, you know, these people that had a wonderful spiritual experience had to kind of apologize for it. You know, they had to kind of preface everything. And, and, but he said, and you've heard this said many times, if somebody got up and said the devil been around all day and had to cast 14 devils out of the dog just to get to church tonight, we said, oh, bless their heart. Glory to God, hallelujah. And one person just speaking tongues in a Sunday school room without the choir singing in the background, we think something's a little bit off balance. A little bit out of wax and a little bit out of the way there. Amen, but I, I say, God, help us to lean in. Help us to lean in. Amen, I wanna be a believer. I wanna believe in him. And so I gotta lay these things aside. He said, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That means perseverance. Amen, that means this, you're gonna have to pace yourself if you want to finish. You're gonna have to pace yourself. Solomon said the race is not to the swift. He said that in Ecclesiastes. He said, this is a long race. It's a commitment. You're getting into this thing. It's a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. This race is not about speed. It's about endurance. Consider the following analogies between a literal race and a Christian race. The contender in the race must be registered. You can't just show up on race day. Amen. And so we've got to enter the spiritual race. We must be born of the water and the spirit. Amen. In a race, some are going to win, some are not. I've met many people that started out, but they're not here today. Amen. They're not among the church today. Amen. Discipline is an essential thing, and most generally spectators urge them on. And I want to say this in closing, if our musicians will come. Derek Redmond is a young British runner. It isn't really a name that conjures up memories of Olympic gold medalists. In fact, Derek Redmond's efforts at the Olympics were officially and are officially recorded as race abandoned. But it's Derek Redmond who defines the essence of the human spirit. It was his determination to finish his race. It was his determination to finish the race that won the hearts of millions of fans. It was on a Monday night, August the 3rd, 1992, at the Olympics in Barcelona, Spain. 65,000 fans streamed into the stadium. Millions more were watching on television around the world. Tuning in from England were Derek's mother and sister. And as race time approached, for the semifinal 400 meter heat, Derek's dad headed up to his seat in the top of the stadium. Derek lined up, 
waved to the crowds, drank in the excitement of that moment, and everything seemed to be coming together for him finally. He was the favorite in the 400 meters. He was running well, and he recorded the fastest time of the first round, and he won his quarterfinal heat. Derek was really ready to realize his lifelong dream of earning a gold medal in the 400-meter dash. He had trained well, and his father had also instilled in him the virtues of honor and courage and determination and faith. He wanted to win to honor his father who had supported him all of his life. The gun fired, and Derek shot out of the starting blocks in an unbelievable fashion. He broke quickly in lane five, quickly making up the stagger of the runners in the lane six through eight. He was on a world record time as he saw the finish line while rounding the turn into the back stretch. And then suddenly, Derek heard a pop followed by a shooting pain that ran up his leg. His Achilles tendon had just torn, his face ashen, his legs quivering. Derek began hopping on one leg and then slowed down and fell on the track. His face twisted in response to the physical pain that he was feeling. He grabbed his leg and fell to the ground. Those who were in close proximity heard him scream out in agony. All the years of sweat and training and pain, the sacrifice of all of his training had come down to these few minutes in time. And then this happened. Tears poured down Derek's face and all that he could think is, I cannot stand the idea of not finishing this race. Lying there, Derek looked at the other racers streaking far ahead of him. There was absolutely no way that he could catch up. The dream was dead at this very second. He had a choice to make. Was he going to accept his fate and give up? Would have been perfectly understandable. Or was he going to go the distance and finish the race? For most runners, the race would have been ended right there, but no, not for Derek. As the medical crew arrived, he waved them off, as you could see. No, there's no way I'm getting on that stretcher. I am going to finish this race. He made a decision, a hard decision, one that he knew would be filled with pain and it was certainly not going to lead him to glory. But it was a decision that would bring the journey full circle. In agony, Derek struggled to his feet and immediately felt the pain of the torn tendon surge through his body. He began to hop and limp the best he could around the track, giving it everything he had to reach the finish line because quitting just was not in his vocabulary. The stunned crowd could not believe what they were seeing. Gradually, they realized Derek is not dropping out of the race. He was not limping off the track in defeat, but was actually continuing on one leg in a fiercely determined effort to make it to the finish line. One painful step at a time, each one a little slower and more agonizing than the one before, but he just limped onward. The crowd now, the crowd begins to cheer for him. The fans, 65,000 strong, rose to their feet and their cries grew louder and louder, building into a thunderous roar. Fellow competitors, family, commentators, fans from all countries were immediately won over by by Derek's gut determination. At no other time in sport history before or since has an athlete had so much support while finishing last. Through the searing pain, Derek heard the cheers. He would later say, I wasn't doing it for the crowd. I was doing it for me. Whether people thought I was an idiot or a hero, I wanted to finish the race. I'm the one who has to live with the end result. 
The television cameras have been focused on the defending Olympic champion, Steve Lewis, as he, in fact, won the race. But as soon as he crossed the finish line, the cameras panned back to Derek. About 30 seconds had elapsed, and he was still far from the finish line. Yet with all of this, he could endure the pain long enough to make it. And then the drama took a new twist. There was a stir in the top, in the top of the stands. Jim Redman, seeing his son was in trouble, was desperately working his way through the crowd toward the track. He watched his son train for this moment for years. His son had come to Barcelona for one reason and one reason only, and that was to finish the race. He knew how important it was to Derek, and he was willing to do whatever it took to see his son achieve that goal. Jim, his father, had no Olympic credentials. He wasn't even supposed to be on the track, but all he could think about was getting to his son to help him. He was absolutely single-minded about this and was not going to be stopped by anyone. When Jim reached the bottom of the stands, he vaulted over the railing. He dodged one security guard and ran to his sons with two security guards running after him. And he was shouting over his shoulder, that's my son out there and I am going to help him. Jim finally reached his son at the final curve and wrapped his arms around his waist. When Derek heard his father say, Derek, Derek, you don't have to do this. Derek said, yes, I do. He said, well then, we're going to finish this together. Derek put his arms around his father's shoulders and sobbed and together, arm in arm, father and son struggled toward the finish line with 65,000 people cheering, clapping and crying and millions, no doubt, around the world sitting on the edge of their sofas at home. It was later reported that Derek told his father this. He said, Dad, whatever you do, don't let me get out of lane Five, because the lane I start in is the lane I must finish in. And so I'm having trouble keeping my balance. But whatever you do, keep me in lane five. Whatever you do, you make sure, you make sure that I stay in lane five. He said later in an interview, my father was the only one who could help me because he was the only one who really knew what I've been through. Later when he was asked about his decision to hop on, not run on, he said I wasn't going to let an injury keep me from finishing. Derek didn't win Olympic gold that night, but he came away with something far more valuable, far more valuable. I'm gonna tell you this story. When I read this today, posed many questions in my spirit and I thought if Jim Redman had that much compassion for his son how much more does our heavenly father have for us Jesus cleared his throat and he looked sternly at a crowd and in Luke in Luke's writings he said in Luke 11 and 11 if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father will you give him a stone or if he ask a fish if he will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? The answer is a resounding no. And the Lord said, if a, if, if a human father has that much ability, then how much more does your heavenly father? What I'm trying to tell you tonight, I'm not trying to preach you happy. I'm not trying to preach you to your feet. I don't care if you walk on the backs of the pews or bite the ceiling tonight. What I'm trying to do is with God's help, reach under you and lift you up and tell you that we must 
finish this race. Herrick had to hop. Amen. He had to hop across it. It didn't look like an Olympic runner. He didn't look like a man that had trained all of his life. That's not how he finished. Nobody was there raising his arms and hanging gold or silver or even bronze around his neck. I said a moment ago that beside his name, it's as though he did not even enter the race. He was race abandoned. But I'm gonna tell you tonight, we know the truth. We saw it played out for us. He didn't abandon the race. He staggered. He pulled. He reached. And finally, a father came alongside. I'm gonna tell you tonight, in the name of Jesus, that you are going to make it if we have it in our heart that I must finish this race. Let's stand. By no means, by no means is the Lord watching us in our race, unwilling to help us when we stagger under the load that has been placed upon us. If you think, I don't know how people imagine all this, but if you think that God is looking over the banister of heaven, we've heard that terminology a lot. If you think God is just somehow looking over the banister of heaven and nudging the angels, say, look at her. She struggles, she stumbles, she, she's failing. If you think the angels are somehow placing bets against whether or not you're gonna win or lose, we've lost our mind. The race is not to the swift. It's not how fast we come out of those gates. Not how fast we come out of the blocks, but it's what we're doing five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, oh Lord. Just a few days ago, my wife and I were at home and she, we were sharing with one another a picture. Somebody had one of our friends posted on Facebook. It's Brother Mike Williams sitting with his son, his dad rather, Jesse Williams. It was Brother Ron Beckton, pastoring in Nashville, Tennessee, sitting there with his old dad, C.M. Beckton. Here was two men who stand in the vanguard of revival in this century pastoring revival churches but sitting beside them the Beckton's face was a little drawn in age and time had withered brother Jesse Williams struggling with his ability to remember now but oh those patriarchs that haven't bobbled I know I'm preaching a long time I I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to belabor the issue. But I'm telling you that there was just something in that picture that cried out to me that if these men can do this, I can do it. I can do it. While I revere them and respect them and admire their, their ministries and their accomplishments and they've done so much more in their life and I feel like I've done in mine. But I realize this, they're, they're breathing the same air I'm breathing, filled with the same spirit that I'm filled with. And they made it. They made it. They made it. Oh, Jesus. I don't know if I've told this, but if I, if I have, just 
bear with me, but I was, I was watching. Some of you will recognize this name, Brother O.R. Foss. Oh, what a voice he has been in Pentecost for so many years. Preached hundreds and hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of camp meetings around the world. The O.R. Foss, not long ago, not long ago he, he passed away. And just prior to his passing, Brother Kilgore, James Kilgore was at their church preaching. Brother Kilgore was at that time, I think, 83 or 84 years old. Brother Kilgore is not a real tall man in stature, not a real tall man. But he talked about he and Brother Faust and Brother J.T. Pugh, and they were all three the same age growing up, and, and they all came up in the ministry together, and some of you recognize those names. And, and they said one, Brother, Brother, Brother Kilgore said, uh, when they were just children, they recognized that Brother Kilgore was the shortest of them all, and he said that, and he said somewhere they got it in their mind that if they could stretch him, they could make him as tall as he was. He said, I'd hold on to the bed rail, and Brother Pugh and Brother O.R. Foss would pull on his legs, try to stretch him. He said, well, it never, as the Bible says, you can't add to your stature. But he said, but I didn't realize that those caliber of men that was growing up were gonna be my ministry friends through the years. And he said, while they let, one day they let go of my ankles, they never stopped stretching me. They never stopped pulling me and causing me to be a better preacher and a better pastor and a better husband and a better father and a better shepherd. Brother Oh, Brother Kilgore was standing behind that pulpit that night. And the, the camera was fixed on him. It never went over to Brother, to Brother Falls. But apparently Brother Falls was sitting over here about where Brother Trail is sitting. And, and as Brother Kilgore began to tell that story, he's standing here 82 years old. You think, you think you ought to just cash in the chips. It's all over with. But he leaned across that pulpit and he said, Brother Falls, stretch me. Stretch me. Stretch me stretch me again pull me again and I want to make it 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 and so I say tonight oh God help me to never forget the words of David David said because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge even the most high thy habitation there shall no evil befall you neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over thee lest they dash, out your, dash your foot against a stone. They're gonna be there. They're gonna pick you up. Amen. They're gonna help us move across, walk across. I'm asking you tonight, don't stop stretching me. Don't stop stretching me. Don't stop stretching me. We need to reach out to our neighbors, our friends, and we need to let people pull us and pull us. Why? Because, Sister Baggett, I wanna win. I wanna run this race. I gotta finish. I gotta finish. I gotta finish. And so I need somebody to pull me. I think we ought to respond. I'm being serious. I think we ought to respond somehow to this. I'm not telling you what to do. I just think somehow there needs to be a response of something. Oh God, I gotta finish this race. I didn't just start out. I didn't just want a title. I didn't just want, I didn't just want this or that. But oh God, I just wanna finish. I wanna finish. If I have to hop across... If I have to cough across and the only arm I feel is the arm of Jesus Christ holding me up. Oh, oh, I gotta finish. I gotta finish. 
Let the world write me off. Let the world call me a failure. Let the world think I missed the mark. Let men decide what they're going to decide. But I must finish this race. I must finish this race. Oh, in the name of Jesus, God, encourage the discouraged tonight. Strengthen the weary. Breathe life. Oh, God, breathe life into those that, are, that feel like they're just edging away. <laughs> oh, Oh, breathe life into them tonight, Jesus. Because we must finish. We must finish this race. We must finish this race. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.